Amen. What a true declaration. How great is our God. Amen. Very, very, very good God that we serve. Uh, Let me just once again welcome our guests that are here to fellowship. One of the things that we're so thankful for is the fact that the Lord brings new people to our church pretty much weekly, and we are thankful for the opportunity. If that's you today, welcome to fellowship. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you have already been blessed uh, by being a part of our service, and we want you to, uh, to feel welcomed here in our midst. And as we continue in worship, that's what we're doing. This is a, a service of worship to God. And as we continue in that, one of the things we do is we take time to preach and teach the word of God. It's actually a central part of the gathering of the church. We do this in faith, believing that God blesses and grows our faith in him as we gather in his name and listen and hear and respond to the word of God being preached. So we're doing that by teaching through a series in the book of Acts, and so we're going to continue that today. Uh, We are in uh, chapter uh, 16, and I expect that we will finish the chapter uh, next week, and uh, then what we'll do is we'll move on to another uh, preaching series uh, that uh, Pastor Stephen and I have been working on for the summer, and then we'll eventually get back to uh, the book of Acts and finish this book. I keep telling you we're going to keep getting back and finishing the book. We're we're getting back to it. We're just not finishing the book. (laughs) It's taking a little bit more time, but that's all right because we're learning a lot as we go go through it. Today, as we continue, one of the things we're going to see, and I I think a theme that that comes out is that we're going to see a gospel that transforms all kinds of people. Two weeks ago, as we, as we studied and we were looking uh, in Acts 16, we read about Lydia and her amazing conversion and story. And today is a, a very different kind of story, but still a transformation. And that's one of the things that we see about the gospel is that the gospel works in different ways. Last week, we, we, ha- we had our missions conference, a wonderful weekend together with our missionaries. We heard from uh, Jim, Jim Wilson as he, as he preached. And one of the things he shared was that God does not work in a straight line. And, and that is true. God doesn't, and I think what he meant by that is that God doesn't work all the time, many times in ways that we expect him to work. And so we've kind of drawn the path and then he works in a different way. And, and we're going to see that today as we look at the text. And, and even before that, um, I wanted to give you some examples of, of what I mean as we look at just how God has worked in the lives of people. Uh, William Carey, who is the, who's known as the father of, of modern missions, he was transformed by the gospel as a teenager in the late 1770s, and he was working as an apprentice to a blacksmith. And this blacksmith shared Christ with young William. And he gave his life to Jesus and then gave his life to missions. William Carey and and those who came to Christ through his ministry are said to have baptized more than 1,400 people uh, throughout the, the ministry that he took place in. And again, known as the father of modern missions. And I'm sure that blacksmith had none of that in mind when he shared the gospel with this young man. 
1886, similarly, similar story, Billy Sunday, who is a professional, was a professional baseball player for the Chicago White Sox, he walked into a Salvation Army and a volunteer there shared the gospel with him and he gave his life to Christ. Billy Sunday eventually left professional baseball and became an evangelist. And he preached the gospel to tens of thousands of people throughout his lifetime. Something that Salvation Army volunteer, I'm sure, did not have in mind that day. And one of my favorite stories is uh, this one. In January of 1850, a 15-year-old young man, Charles, was walking in a terrible storm, blizzard, and he couldn't go any further because the storm was so bad. So he found refuge in the nearest place, which was a small church. And there were people had gathered there for a service. There was only about 10 to 12 people in the small church because the storm was pretty bad. And the pastor was not even able to get there because of the storm. Young Charles recalled that a poor man... Uh, a poor man, he said probably a tailor or, or a shoemaker, he's not sure which, went up to preach. And he read one verse, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Charles recalls that even as he read that, he didn't read it properly. He didn't read it correctly. And then the preacher said, many of you are looking to yourselves, no use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves And then this fill-in preacher looked at young Charles who was sitting out in the crowd and he realized he was not a regular. And he said, young man, you look miserable. Aren't you glad I don't do that? (laughs) And then he said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon gave his life to Christ that day became one of the greatest preachers to ever live. You see, we, we have been given a transforming gospel. And, and, and that's what the good news of Jesus Christ is. It transforms lives. That's what it does. And, and today in our text, we see the power of this transforming gospel. And we see it in a young slave girl that Luke uh, writes for us and, and records for us. So let's pray and ask God to, to lead us as, we, as we're going to look into uh, this text. Lord, Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you that it transforms lives. It has transformed lives and it continues to transform lives. And I pray and we pray in, in this moment now that as you've gathered this assembly of people together here on this Lord's day, that you would continue to do that transforming work that only you can do in the lives of those that are here today. We thank you for your good news, Lord Jesus, the good news of who you are and what it is that you have done for us. Speak to us now through your word in Jesus name. Amen. So we're in Acts chapter 16. Again, uh, we left off at verse uh, 16. We learned about the missionary group being in Macedonia. They met Lydia. Lydia gave her life to Christ. 
The missionary group stayed there in this city and now the story continues and Luke continues to tell us. And the first thing he tells us is that the missionary group meets a demon-possessed slave girl, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So verse 16 tells us that the missionary group, and we've identified this group already, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and they were headed to the place of prayer. That's the same place where they had met Lydia, the place they'd already been. And, and so they're gathering there again uh, for fellowship to, to probably you know, read the word, pray together, encourage one another. And Luke tells us as they're on their way, they're met by a slave girl and the slave girl had a spirit of divination is how, is how Luke writes this. And that phrase, spirit of divination is literally translated, if we just looked at the Greek and how Luke wrote this, it would be literally translated as python spirit or spirit python. Now, what does that mean? You know, we wouldn't necessarily know that. Well, this, Luke knows what he means when he writes it. And, and he writes it again under the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's referring to is that in Greek mythology, the god Apollo killed the python that guarded a sanctuary that was at Delphi. And this sanctuary uh, was a place where oracles were given. And so Apollo, because he killed the python, became the deity of the sanctuary and he guarded it. And then he became known, Apollo did, to speak through the oracle at Delphi. And then the word Python was then given to anyone Apollo spoke through. So in this case, what's happening here is the people, they believe that the God Apollo is speaking through this slave girl. That's what they believe. They believe that Apollo is speaking through her and they refer to her as the Python spirit for that reason. She would be actually considered a Pythoness. And a Pythoness would make predictions of the future. Clairvoyant predictions. They would even utter words in, in, in strange, even sometimes non-human voices. And since the people believed that Apollo was speaking through her, many then would, would, would seek her out for predictions of the future for their own life. They, they, they'd look to her to predict good things about their, their life and fortune. And, and the slave owners, the, the ones who owned her, would profit financially from her. Significant profit. Luke refers to it as much gain. So Luke isn't telling us that, you know, they, they made a little. This was, this was they, were, they were gaining much through this. This would almost be similar to, to what we would see today as modern day human trafficking. This girl was being used for financial gain against her will. Now, Luke tells us about more than, than just that. He, he, he tells us about the power of this fortune, future-telling spirit. What does he tell us about it? 
He says that it is the power of an evil spirit. So, so when you think about the power of this fortune and future telling that this girl had, Luke isn't saying that it's just some power she happened to come by. He tells us that it is the power of an evil spirit. That's clear by his reference to the spirit of divination and by what happens in the narrative. So we need to understand this as this is not harmless curiosity about the future. This is direct contact with and through an evil, demonic spirit. And that is something that believers in Jesus should avoid. That's something that should be clear to us. Listen to what the Lord God commanded the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those other nations. There shall not be found among you anyone There should not be found among you anyone. This is what God is saying to his nation, his people, Israel. There shouldn't be anyone found among you. In other words, there shouldn't be anyone found among the people of God who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, or I would say in any kind of offering like that. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord God. This is a serious warning in Deuteronomy 18. And it's something that we as believers today should understand. Believers, if you say I'm a believer in Jesus, I've given my life to Christ, he is my Lord and he is my Savior, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He has put his spirit in you. We have no business seeking to learn the future, to speak or to hear from the dead. Through mediums, psychics, divination, Ouija boards, or anything of the sort. All of this kind of thing is not of God. In fact, what the scripture tells us is that it is an abomination to God. And that's something that we should all be clear, clear about and understand. I want to also be clear on this topic on something else. Living humans are not able to communicate with the dead. We don't communicate with the dead. If you seek the help of any kind of medium to do that, the medium is not speaking with your loved one. They're allowing an evil spirit to speak through them. And the person who's listening is now participating. You're allowing yourself to be exposed to the powers of darkness. And that, that should stop us in our tracks with that kind of stuff. This is very real. 
very dangerous, scary stuff. Yet, yet it's, it's popular out there in the culture to seek this kind of thing and to, and to submit ourselves before it and act as if the evil that is going on there isn't going to impact us in any way. It does. Not too long after my mom passed away, someone asked me, and this was someone who was a believer, someone asked me if I had, or said they were a believer, had asked me if I had heard from her yet. And they said, and I, they kind of saw the confusion on my face and said, well, maybe it's too soon. Don't worry, it will happen. And I was confused by that. I wasn't comforted by that. The reason is, and I, and I think we need to hear this, is, you know, my hope for my mom is John eleven twenty five, When Jesus said, though she die, yet shall she live. And it's the same hope I have for my life. Though I die, yet shall I live. It's the same hope that you should have for your loved one. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's our hope. Our hope is not in a mediated divination between the living and the dead. That's what we've been singing about. Our hope is Jesus. The tomb is empty. We serve a living savior. And so all of this is connected and we need to see that. Satan knows it. Well, let's continue on in the story. So then we see that the demon-possessed slave girl follows the missionary group and deceitfully mimics their message and their ministry. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us. Again, this is Luke writing it, so he's including himself here. Crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, and this she kept doing for many days. So she follows the group of missionaries for many days, and what was she saying? She's... She's saying, these men, these missionaries, following them around, they are servants of the most high God. And she said, they proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now you, you might step back from that and go, now wait a minute. That sounds right. Is what, she's, is what this girl is saying true? Well, it is true. Yes, they are servants of the most high God. And that would be that that phrase there is a reference back to the Old Testament an Old Testament uh, God of Israel title that was used. The most high God. And that's again a true statement. And it's 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 very interesting to note too that this exact phrase the most high God this exact title and phrase is what the demons say to Jesus in Mark 5 and in Luke 8. In both of those accounts, they refer to him as the son of the most high God. Here you have Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, being followed by a, a little girl possessed by a, a, a demonic spirit. And that demonic spirit is saying you are servants of the most high God. Same, same phrase. Because they know who Jesus is. They know who Paul is. 
they know who the people of God are. They know these men are filled with the spirit of God, the most high God. Now, why is a demon speaking truth though? Is the demon interested in truth? No. It's not interested in truth. Satan is the father of lies, right? Father of lies. So his, his demonic force, they live in deception. And if they have to use truth to deceive, they will. But the demon has only wicked purposes in mind, even in stating that truth. Because a demon speaking has no interest in pleasing God. No interest in pleasing God. They are set against God. They are the enemies of God. The enemies of God, the enemy of the people of God. And this is why, this is why Jesus silenced the demons when they spoke in Luke 4 and in Mark 1. In, bo- in, in both of those accounts, if you look in the, in the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Mark, Jesus said to the demon, be silent. Stop talking and come out. So we see similarities here of what's happening in Acts 16 connecting with what we read in the gospels. Again, just speaks to the word of God and the power and the truth that is contained in the word. So then what is the strategy of Satan here? Then what's he doing? What's the strategy of Satan here in Acts 16? What is he doing in this specific situation? Why is this girl following the missionaries, imitating them? Let me give you two strategies to consider. One is this, Satan is attempting to create an alliance between the slave girl and her work and the missionaries and their gospel work. But there is no alliance. By following them around and speaking as she is, she may give the impression that she and the missionaries are aligned in mission. Look what I'm saying about them. We're aligned in mission. We're aligned in message. But they're not. These men are serving the Lord God. This spirit is serving the devil and his purposes. But the attempt to create that perception is there and a strategy. And a strategy that's still used today. Second, Satan is using another, another uh, strategy here is that Satan is using the slave girl to associate the message of the gospel with the pagan divination and occult-like practice. So now he's trying to associate the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, associating that with pagan divination and occult-like practice. He's looking to associate the gospel message with sorcery, divination, and the gospel message, and the gospel, the work of the gospel has nothing to do with either. We are not proclaiming a mystical gospel. This is why Christians need to be careful about sliding into mysticism and new age type practices because it starts to, you start to confuse the gospel, not, not clarify it. 
The, the gospel stands against these wicked practices. What Satan is doing here, it's like, it's like spiritual espionage. Make the enemy think you're harmless and on their side while you actually intend to bring about unspeakable harm and pain. This is classic satanic strategy, what he's doing here. So how does Paul respond? Paul casts out the demon and frees the slave girl. Verse 18, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So Luke tells us that Paul becomes frustrated and annoyed to the point that he must do something. Now, if, if a demonic spirit is following you around in ministry, just think about the ministry you do, and is following you around in ministry, I think you're going to get annoyed and frustrated. There's this, there's this oppression or, or attack or uh, just, the, just the enemy working, resisting what it is that you're doing. And that's what's happening here. Paul, Paul might be hearing words that sound aligned, but what he's feeling is resistance. And he knows it. He's allowed this girl to follow them around for days. That's what Luke tells us. Many days. We're not exactly sure how many, but Luke says it was many days. They, they were followed around. And at some point he turns to the girl and Luke tells us that Paul speaks, but notice who Paul speaks to. Luke tells us. He speaks to the evil spirit. The spirit that has taken hold of the physical body of this slave girl. And he commands the spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus, and the demon came out immediately. The phrase, that very hour, is really an expression. It means essentially at that moment, but it would kind of be like us saying, you know, in a minute, or, you know, we have expressions, but we don't take them literally. We kind of know what we mean by them. Paul was an apostle called by Jesus himself to be an apostle. He has apostolic power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Is, is what is doing this work here. This is not Paul's work. This is the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice also that this isn't Silas doing it. It's not Timothy. It's not Luke even. It's Paul. Paul was given this kind of apostolic power to cast out demons and, and, and it's very dangerous spiritual work but it was something the Lord intended for him to do, especially in this specific situation. And so he did. And he freed this destitute slave girl. Now, Luke doesn't tell us specifically what happens next to her specifically. Whether or not she becomes a, a believer. It's likely that she did become a believer, especially because of the context of the text. If we take it in, 
in context, Luke has just told us about Lydia and her conversion. Then he has the story of the slave girl and her being freed. And then we move next to the, which we're going to look at next week. And that's the jailer and what happens there. And he seems to be testifying to the transforming, saving work of the gospel in the lives of specific people in Macedonia. Now notice also the irony in this story. This slave girl was known to have a python spirit or a spirit python, however you want to say it. And, and think about this. I was thinking about this and it hit me. This is amazing. Through the name of Jesus, she was freed. And so what do we see here? We see, we have an image of Jesus crushing the serpent. Amen. Even in this. Jesus crushing the serpent. Luke doesn't mention the girl again. Not because they lost some papers and, you know, we don't know what happened. No, it's, it's, it's again superintended by the Holy Spirit. The focus moves to the response of the city leaders, specifically to Paul and to Silas. But it doesn't change the fact that what we see is a person in bondage and made free through the power of Jesus Christ. So what happens next in the narrative? Well, Paul and Silas are wrongly accused, indicted, beaten, and thrown in jail. Great day for them. Notice that the owners of the slave girl, there's no mention here from Luke that they're at all impressed or moved by Paul's power to exercise a demon. They're just furious that they lost their lucrative side hustle that they have going on. They're making money off of her. They're not impressed though by what he did. And this must have been going on for days so people knew her and knew of, of, of the fact that she gave these, these fortunes and would tell people the future, Paul just turns around and in a sentence ends it all and no, no response like, wow, you must be a servant of God. This must be, no, instead you stopped our income stream. Notice what Paul and Silas are accused of. They're not accused of preaching the gospel here. This is not the same as, as the apostles preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Remember, we're in a Roman colony. We set that up two weeks ago. It's different rules. First, we see in verse 20 that the accusers make clear to the leaders of the city, these men are Jews. He wants to make that clear. They're not like us. They're Jews, Jews that are disturbing the peace of the city here in Philippi. Why? Well, they're advocating and they're spreading Jewish propaganda. What's the propaganda that they're spreading? Well, basically what, the, what these guys say as they come together, because it must have been a group of owners to seize Paul and Silas. They basically say that they are talking about things that are not lawful for us Romans to practice and do. They made Paul and Silas out to be political revolutionaries. 
like these, like these guys were political revolutionaries on mission to overthrow the Roman government in Philippi. But that's not their mission. That's not why they're there. They're not looking to overthrow the Roman government. And then the mob of people joined the attack. But again, no mention here of the exorcism, right? There's no, there's no mention of what actually happened. That's not connected to the accusation, No mention of the exorcism, no mention of the little girl, no mention of the spreading of the gospel or Jesus, just Jews spreading unlawful traditions and customs for Romans to practice. Well, there's a reason for that because they know that will stick. That charge will stick. This is a political charge in a Roman colony. There's nothing worse than getting charged with some sort of charge that seems to indicate You're against the power of Rome. That's what they're doing. So the magistrates had Paul and Silas stripped of their clothes. It's most likely in a public place, then beaten with rods, flogged, which by the way was illegal to do to Roman citizens. We'll see more of that next week. And then after the severe beating, they're thrown in prison And their feet fastened to stocks so that they can't move, they can't escape, they can probably barely tend to their open wounds that they have. Again, what a great day of ministry in Philippi. You're thinking, wow, this is is probably not what we planned for here. And we're going to pick up with the rest of the chapter Again, like I said, we'll look at that next week. But what I want to do is take some time to consider some of what we can learn and draw and apply to our lives out of this text. I have two truths for you to consider. The first one is this. We, we, we need to realize something as believers today. We need to realize that Satan's most diabolical work masquerades under the name of Jesus Christ. He uses the name of Christ as a way to advance his work. Now, we're, we're, this should not be something that we don't know about. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, I'll put it up here on the screen for you to see, for such men are false pro- apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, no wonder they do that because they're just doing what the boss says, Satan, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is, what's those next two words? No surprise. I think those two words in your Bible should be highlighted or circled because what I find is we're always surprised. But it says it is no surprise If his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. This is making clear that Satan works this way specifically. Doesn't encourage us to be overly, I'm not encouraging us to be overly critical, and I don't think this is as well, or even overly cynical. But it does remind us of something as Christians we need to be discerning. Not everything that says Christian, Jesus, God, Bible is good and of God. You just need to, you need to be aware of that. Whether it's a podcast, book, 
teaching, sermon. You need to be discerning. This is one of the benefits of the local church. We know each other. You don't have, it's, it's, it, we, we, we get to, to, to know each other in relationship and that's the intention of the gathered local church. Even with leaders and pastors, you know us, we know you. But we need this discernment because much of it is not of God. It is of our enemy, Satan, and we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning about that. This girl was a victim, clearly. She was being used for financial gain. She was indwelt by an evil spirit, yet she was speaking truth about God. And and the way that Paul responds to it, everything about this entire situation was of Satan. And Paul knew it. Now, that doesn't mean that God isn't going to use it for his good purposes because that's what God does. But it also doesn't mean that what we're seeing here isn't something that is evil and wicked. It was. So we just need to be wise and discerning. Not critical of everything, but wise. Second, we need to realize and rejoice that if Jesus can save a pythoness like this we have in this story, He can free us from whatever holds us in bondage. This text reminds us that Jesus breaks the chains of bondage. It reminds us of that. You need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that. So I don't know all of you and every single thing going on in your life, but whatever is going on in your life, that you may think is either too wicked, too terrible, too awful for God to consider you as righteous. You look at this story and you look at what God did. He freed a slave girl who was under the control of a demon. He can handle whatever is going on in your life. He can and he wants to. This text reminds us that the gospel transforms all kinds of people, all of us. And if you just look at the differences between what we saw two weeks ago with Lydia and then what we see here with the slave girl, there there are significant differences. Lydia was the story of a wealthy woman. This is the story of a destitute slave girl. Lydia is a businesswoman in high standing in the city, running a business. The slave girl was exploited and abused. Lydia is religious and moral. She was known as a God-fearer before she even gave her life to Christ. The slave girl is pagan and tormented. Lydia is is transformed through this quiet uh, little study by the river, by these itinerant uh, missionaries who come by and, and, and share the gospel with them. It's almost like a scene from a movie, you know, with the, this quiet outside, hearing the nice water go by. 
The slave girl is transformed through a dramatic and powerful confrontation of light over darkness, of good over evil. Lydia was introduced more to Jesus being Israel's promised Messiah because, again, she was a God-fearer and needed to understand that although fearing the God of Israel, she needed to understand who Jesus was. The slave girl was introduced to Jesus, the mighty savior and deliverer from bondage. See, they're different, different stories, but both made free. And and that's the point that we need to understand, that I want to encourage you to understand. Jesus wants to transform you too. He's not as much concerned with what the past has been. He's more concerned about your willingness to let him take you from now into the future. I started by telling you that the Lord used a blacksmith, a volunteer, a fill-in preacher, you know, in in the lives of significant uh, ministers of the gospel. The father of modern missions, a a world-renowned evangelist and one of the greatest preachers to ever live. Each used by God to transform a life through through gospel witness. Let the Lord use you in the same way. Allow yourself to be used in the same way. You don't know who you're talking to necessarily when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. You don't know what God has ahead for them. But what do we like to do? We like to kind of prejudge, right? Or predetermine. But that's not what we're called to do. We're just called to tell them the good news and let God write the story for them. We see that. We see that here. In order to do that the way that we should, we must believe in faith that Jesus can and still does transform lives. We have to believe that. That's something that you have to believe deep in your heart. Jesus transforms lives. He's done it, he's doing it, and he's going to continue to do it. And do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Then let him use you how he wants to. And maybe, maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your savior. Maybe that's something, maybe this is something you're hearing for the first time. I don't know. I just want to encourage you to do it today. Maybe you're here similarly like the young Charles Spurgeon was. And maybe you're seeing and hearing about Jesus in a way that you never have before. Just want to invite you to let Jesus transform your life. He can and he will. The same way he did to Lydia, the same way he did to this slave girl, And he is still transforming lives today. All around us. We just need to believe this in faith. Trust in his gospel. Continue to make him known. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth and your power over evil. Lord, may we, your people, understand that power and believe in it. That though we have an enemy, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us to live in faith of that each day. Help us to be the witnesses you've called us to be. When we share the gospel with those, whether it's friends, coworkers, family, Lord, help us to share the gospel with boldness, not predetermining, but trusting that you will transform this life and you will use this life as you desire. And then Lord, I pray for any that are here that are maybe hearing about you for the first time. Maybe somebody who has not trusted themselves in Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, would you transform my life the way that, that, the way that these lives have been transformed in the scripture? Like Lydia, like this slave girl, would you transform my life? Lord, I pray for any person that is in that place that, that you would make your presence very real and known to them. They would give their heart and life to you and allow their life to be transformed by your power. Lord God, we give you the praise and the glory that you are due. We thank you that you truly are the only God, the one true God, a holy God that we worship with gladness and joy. Help us to testify to who you are Continue to work through us in Jesus' name. Amen.